Hey, good morning. It has been a great morning. What a privilege, again, to worship our great God. And you know what? God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him, as uh, Piper has made famous that uh, quote. But you know, sometimes when uh, serious, serious trials really hit... Sometimes we become a little susceptible to the temptations that uh, the world of flesh and the, the devil can do. They can tempt us. We can uh, doubt even God's love and goodness. We forbid that. But uh, sometimes we wonder what God is doing. And uh, so we can, we can be tempted. Like the psalmist said in Psalm 73, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. It's been in vain that I have kept my heart pure. And after he gets his proper bearings in that same psalm, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you, and beside you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So the psalmist always turns it around by the end of the psalm, and we see him praising God. Now Jonathan Edwards um, did a sermon on our text that we're having today. He called it, God the best portion of the Christian. God, the best portion of the Christian. And uh, what he does is he exclaims this, but how great is the happiness of those who have been chosen and to be going to the fountain of all good, who prefer Him before all things in heaven or on earth, and who can never be deprived of Him to all eternity. When a believer endures severe trials and even faces the ultimate, if he has that kind of attitude that God would be glorified, there is the roots of endurance himself, Christ. And that is the kind of attitude that we're to have. Um, There was also a a book uh, written by Piper called The Roots of Endurance. It was about John Newton, Charles Simeon, and William Wilberforce, uh, men to be amazed at and how God worked through their lives and the aim of all their endurance was that Christ be seen and savored in the world as we live today as our glorious God to see Christ do you get it? to see Christ and to savor those thoughts that is what life is about no matter what the circumstances are The theme, the very theme of patiently enduring trials is found all throughout Scripture. You'll find it in the Old Testament, the New Testament, running all the way through. The book of James, we have seen that, starting out in the very first chapter. And now we've made our way to chapter 5 already. And guess what? He's still talking about that. When you look at the book of Hebrews, you will see it consistently. He says, for you have need of endurance So when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. And he continues to repeat that thought to hold our confession fast. Hold it fast, this confession you have. He says he wants us to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Of Abraham, the Hebrew writer said, and so having patiently waited, he inherited the promise. He patiently waited. Hebrews 11. It's just filled with, uh, well, it's the people of the, the Hall of Faith. And those people suffered. And James is mentioning this, and he's saying that you have the ungodly, the ungodly rich who oppress the godly poor. And they're prospering. And it looks like they're doing fantastic. And one could say, God, why is it that this is happening? And look at us. What's going on, Lord? So James just repeats this earlier theme that he's brought forth before. He said in uh, chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is a man. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved... He will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. Wow, that's quite a promise, isn't it? Christ coming back for us. And of course, that's, that's the, the whole theme where we're at in chapter 5 of James. 
we have a great motivation to live this life. Christ coming back. Sounds like the same theme that we've been looking at in Ecclesiastes, doesn't it? Sounds like I, I have done the same thoughts off of Ecclesiastes. But that goes to show you the Bible is consistent. And what it says about one thing in the Old Testament, it also says in the New Testament, many places. Now we started on this subject last week. We started in chapter 5 and in verse 7, right on the heels of the first six verses. Got into verse 7 and kind of slowed down. And that's as far as we got. And so we're going to continue on with that theme of patience this week. We're going to focus on patience, endurance. James is equipping us, folks. He's equipping us on how to respond to circumstances in our lives that are maybe sometimes very unfavorable, very challenging. And, uh, of course, the people at that time were experiencing persecution in a heavy way. And so... And really, we find out in the first six verses, it was the rich who were taking the poor to court. And we see that he even uses that thought in verse 6 of putting to death the righteous man. Whatever that that meant. Uh, There was persecution. And what kind of attitude are they supposed to have? Well, he goes from condemning the faithless rich to actually comforting those who are the persecuted. Comforting those who are believers. So basically, our message today is be patient. That's a hard thing to do. But in Christ, we can do it. So why don't we grab the Word of God, turn to the book of James, chapter 5. We're going to be at verse 8. And starting there, let's stand. And uh, let's see what God has for us today. I always like to start out that way. Let's see what God has. I think He's got a message for us in this Word. And maybe it can come out and speak to us, right? Individually. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 7 where we were at last week and then proceed through. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. And he's an illustration. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until it gets the early and late rains. You, too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured You've heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Let's pray. God, thank you that we can come together. We sit at your feet. We let you teach us by your Holy Spirit and the power of your Word. I myself have no power whatsoever to change my life or anybody else's life but the power of Your truth and Your Spirit can keep conforming us to the very image of Your Son, Jesus Christ, so that we can honor Him more and more. Lord, help us understand Your Word this morning. May it not be trite. May it not be something that we just take for granted, but that it would help us be patient and enduring the way that You desire us to. In your son's name, amen. amen. You can be seated. James 5, verse 8, we get uh, a command. We've been getting commands one right after another from James in his book. We do expository here, and so we take uh, a passage and we work on that. And the next week we continue right where we left off and move on. And uh, we're leaving, uh, we not really leaving uh, patience. We left off with that last week, but we continue. And um, James has been, I think, very helpful to all of us, very practical. And I think he gives quite the word of encouragement as he still yet brings forth truths that um, make us desire to be more obedient. So he says, be patient. Um, 
you to be patient. After giving us the idea of the farmer, he gave us an illustration. He gave the command, then the illustration. He says, you know how the farmer is. He really has to be patient. Whether he wants to or not, he has to be, right? He knows that. So he's patient as he waits for that precious produce. So, now, on the heels of that, he says, you too, just like that farmer, I want you to be patient. The word there is the same word that we looked at last week, uh, macrothumeo. Macro means big. You know, macro, right? Well, thumeo is dealing with like a fuse, if you don't mind. Um, A long fuse. That's the word that we think of. Now, we'll be seeing that other word, endurance, and there's a little bit of difference, but yet they're linked together. But this is dealing with how one responds to people. Macrothumio. Be patient is how you respond to people. People may be uh, ones who have uh, given you a rather tough time, caused you a little bit of stress, and uh, they've mistreated you, they spoke ill of you, uh, you've been persecuted by them, whatever, and you are to be macrothumio with them. Have a long fuse. That's the idea. That, that's ex- the exact Greek word that's used there. You to be patient. And um, there's a guy by the name of Vaughn who said like this, to patiently endure is to be long-tempered, not short-tempered. He goes on to say that patience is self-restraint that enables one to bear insult and injury without resorting to hasty retaliation. So we're not to hastily retaliate. That's God's business anyway, isn't it? So there's the word patient. We'll move on. Strengthen your hearts, it says. Now, another major term, strengthen here. Uh, The word is sterizo. It means to establish. It means to confirm. Um, It means to be resolute. It means to set like flint. Um... To set yourself on track. Establish your heart. Strengthen. It's the attitude of having a firm courage. Rock solid here, right? It's having a commitment. No matter what the circumstance or the people are uh, dealing with there. Just moving ahead. Uh, It can be taken in a literal sense to prop oneself up. To stiffen your backbone and stand up straight. To be steadfast, to be immovable. Okay? Strengthen. Strengthen your hearts. Thomas Manton, um, one who wrote in the 1800s, said this. He called it holy hardness. You like that? Holy hardness. Strong. Firmness of faith and constancy of grace. Strong, yet at the same time being very gracious. That sounds like Jesus Christ. (laughs) You know, but we can say, yeah, but I'm only strengthened. I only have strength in Christ. And that's absolutely right. You cannot find your strength in yourself. But when you become a Christian, not only now do you have Christ in you, and you have His strength, at the same time we're commanded to do this. You say, well, I already have it. Yeah, you do. But now you practice it. You do it. It's, there's commands all throughout Scripture. It's a sovereign, holy work of God that's in us. We work out what He works in us. So when you see the commands, He only commands those because you have the ability to do it. But you don't lay back and let go and let God. You do it, right? You have the strength. You have the power. That's why he's saying do this. Strengthen your relationship with Christ. That's one way to start it. Strengthen your prayer life. You want to be strong? Have a good, strong prayer life. You want to be strong? Oh, you know what the next one I want to do, right? Right here. This is how you get strong. This is how you strengthen your heart. You go right to the Word of God. The infallible, inerrant, complete, authoritative, sufficient, effective, determined Word of God, right? And that's what we do. The power, it changes us. It really does. It makes a change, but we still have to desire to look in for it. You know what? There's another way to be strengthened. You guys want to be strong, right? You want to be strong Christians. Well, if you pray, if you're seeking the Lord out, if you're reading His Word, you're getting really strong. You know what else helps? 
having a strong fellowship with like-minded people like all of you people. And it's amazing how it bounces from you to me. From me to you. From you to them. Right? From them to you. It's amazing. Fellowship is a way to be strengthened. We're here to encourage each other, aren't we? To be established, confirmed. So um, fellowship with other Christians is building one another up in love. Edifying each other. And not only here, but even throughout the week. As we pray for them, or as we run into them, so online, uh, Bible study, just calling one up anymore. It's not calling one up. What is it doing? It's texting, right? And uh, whether it be on the phone, whether it be on Facebook, whatever it is. But that, those kind of encouragements really help us get through the week, don't they? It's a long week till next Sunday. Um, strengthen. I have to think like Jesus. Used this, they used this word in Luke. Luke used this. In Luke uh, chapter 9, verse 51, dealing with strengthen. And it doesn't really use that word, but it's the same Greek word is what it means. Um, when the days were approaching for His ascension, time for Him to ascend on up into the heavens, He was determined to go to Jerusalem. <laughs> he was going to go to Jerusalem no matter what. He was determined. He was strengthened. He set his heart like flint. He was determined to do that. That's that's that word sterizo. He was established. He was confirmed. He was resolute in doing it. Did he do it? Yeah. <laughs> First Thessalonians chapter three verse thirteen. We're looking at this word strengthen. First Thessalonians three thirteen. Does this kind of help when we think about being strengthened? Well, these are some issues. We we kind of study the word out a little bit. We we see other examples. We see it in Christ. We see how Paul uses it. and We've seen how James has used that word. 1 Thessalonians 3.13 So that he may establish that's your word there, strengthen sterizo, your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Do you notice there's being strengthened at the same time realizing that Christ is coming back. That's our motivation. And of course, that'll be the next thought we'll be presenting forth. In uh, Ephesians 3. Oh, there's a great prayer there in Ephesians chapter 3. That great little book. Isn't it an incredible book? Powerful. In verse 14, chapter 3, uh, as he prays. This is the prayer. This is the prayer we ought to have for each other. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And He would grant you according to the riches of His glory. That He would grant you the riches of His glory. Not just a little bit, but the riches of His glory. For what reason? To be strengthened with dunamis, with power, dynamite, through His Spirit in the inner man. That's not enough. Look, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, that He may live there, that He can make Himself at home in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Hey, would you like somebody to pray that kind of prayer for you? Well, you too can do that. You can open up your Bibles this week and and think of some people in your life that need this. That means every one of us in here. (laughs) But um, that He would grant us the riches of that. That is being strengthened, isn't it? Boy, that's how you get strengthened. I want to be more strong. Stronger, Okay, the motivation, we already mentioned that. We go back to our James. And he's already been saying this, and he continues to say it. New Testament is just packed with the fact that Christ is coming back. If we don't have that kind of hope, then we don't, you know, we are men to be most pitied, as it talks about in the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is all about him coming back. And that is what keeps us going on the earth in the time that we live in right now we keep our feet planted but at the same time keep looking for the fact that we know He's coming back. And if He didn't 
there was no resurrection, what good would this be all about? It's all about that. Next week, are you guys ready? Next week, let's just have this place packed and be praying for people that they're not sick next week and we can just have a great glorious day in that special day celebrating the resurrection, which we're doing already. We worship on Sunday, the first day of the week, and it's about the resurrection of Christ, the life of Christ and such. But that's always a special day and we have special music and all sorts of things that God blesses us with. So I just wanted to get that in as we think about our motivation he says in uh, 8 for the coming of the Lord is near you be strong this is how you be patient when you're strong when you're strong guess what you'll be you will be patient and you're strong because the Lord is coming back coming of the Lord trusting in the Lord's promise enduring knowing that he's going to right every wrong that has been done if we've hoped in Christ in this life only, we're most to be pitied. So he says, commit yourself to a firm, solid stand that Jesus is coming. The coming of the Lord. Coming there is parousia. We talked about that last week. That is the very presence, the very arrival of His person. Parousia, you've heard of that. Coming. The second coming of Christ. And then he says near. It's near. The word there is a gidzo. And it means to draw near, to come close, to approach us. So the coming, the parousia, and near are very related, aren't they? You know, it's like saying he can come at any time. And that gets into our doctrine of imminency. That means there is nothing that's keeping him from coming now. Um, when we think about... He, he is at hand. He has come near. The time is at a hand. It's a perfect tense verb. It means we're right on the edge of it. It's like this event could come at any moment. There is nothing prophetically particular there that has to happen before He comes back. He's near at hand. Let's look at a few of those verses that support that. Let's look in Romans chapter 13, verse 12. What does Paul say about that? As we just read James, Romans 13, verse 12. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. I think this gets into the area where Augustine heard the kids say, Pick up and read! Pick up and read. He picked that up. Guess what? The Lord touched his heart. The Holy Spirit came and regenerated him. The power of God's Word and the power of God's Spirit. So anyway, there it says in, in, in our verse 12, uh, the night is almost gone. That's, that's now. And the day is near. The day that Christ comes back. The light comes bursting in to this black background of sin burst open into the scene. Don't you look forward to that? That's what keeps us going. Uh, look in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not forsaking our own assembling as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day. The day of Christ. Coming back for us. Here's what we do now. We meet together and assemble together. We don't want to forsake that. We want to be here to encourage each other. Man, we need the encouragement as we, go, as we live in this world, this sinful, depraved, wicked world. We need some encouragement. Right? Yeah. Look at Titus 2.13. I love this one. Titus 2.13, one of my favorites. looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory when he comes back I'm telling you we will know what glory means we've been singing songs about glory talking about glory and when he comes back there's what a blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus looking for that boy what a glorious thing that's going to be Revelation 22.20. Everybody knows this one. You're familiar with this one. Right near the end of the Bible. 
He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. That's motivation. So he's given the command, be patient, be strengthened. You are motivated. It was in verse 9. James 5, verse 9. Hey, we covered a whole verse today. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Oh, my voice is going out. That might be it. <laughs> Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Gives us a negative command here. Be patient, be strengthened. Christ coming back. And he says, Oh, don't complain while you're here. Now the word there is stenazo. And it means an inward type. Mumbling and bumbling and complaining and grumbling. <laughs> it's internal. It's, it's a resentful bitter type attitude. See, people sometimes don't hear us speak things, but we have an attitude that's on inside. That just stinks. It's rotten. It means to groan within yourself. Say, yeah, but at least I can say it. Well, that's good. I'm glad you didn't. But at the same time, what are you doing carrying that rotten attitude around? This is sinful. It's a sin. God says, stop it. (laughs) It speaks of inner distress more than an open complaint. What happens often, and it says in verse 9, this was happening back in James' time. He knew what was going on. Do not complain, brethren. Who's he talking to? Christians. He keeps saying brethren all the time. So he's saying, hey, 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 stop the complaining. Against who? Against the the unbelieving world, right? No, against one another. Against one... Who's the one another's? One another's are believers. He knew what was going on. He says, stop it right now. It's the stress of God's providences at work. And you know, His providences can take all sorts of things on. Sometimes be rather uh, trying. He tests our patience, doesn't He? And sometimes it can get a little rugged. And sometimes a little bit of discontent at God's providence. And our spirits become despondent. And he says, don't you be targeting your brothers and sisters. Okay? Do not complain against them. Uh, You know, it's easy to point out the deficiencies of others, isn't it? It's easy to blame others when things aren't going right. Hey, they didn't minister to me in the right way. And now you have a bitter resentment going on. It says, don't, don't do that. Do you know really who we're grumbling against in our attitudes? Right. We're not really grumbling against the people so much as we are the sovereign Lord who is the one who put us into that situation in the first place. He, he puts us up against certain people that contend to rub us the wrong way. And you still have to love them. And that's a way to practice God's love. Because that's what He did with us. We didn't deserve that kind of love, did we? What a sovereign God He is. He he puts us into situations at certain points in our lifetime. That's how sovereign He is. He's not only sovereign in His salvation. You know, because we can't save ourselves. It's entirely on the grace of God. He is sovereign. He has sovereign grace. He draws us to Him. Otherwise, we would never come to Him. We would never do that on our own. But then He continues to do this with us through our lives. He sovereignly puts things into our lives at a particular time. And the Bible comes along and says, Yeah, the Bible absolutely prohibits all kinds of grumbling. Every kind of grumbling. Matter of fact, He doesn't like any grumbling. <laughs> no grumbling. Almost sounds like a car, doesn't it? The grumbler. 
Grumbling against the Lord Himself. What's that? Might run into some serpents. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Okay, do not complain, brethren, against one another. Why? Well, he gives us another motivation this time. It's about the coming of the Lord again. He's done that in verse 7. He's done it in verse 8. He does it again in verse 9. This time it's a little bit different. It's about the judge. (laughs) If we're complaining... Remember, the judge is right at the door. Now, we know that he has already judged our sins. But there's rewards that comes into play here. We don't want to lose the rewards that he's given us. And the idea here in those days, there was probably like a judgment hall. Had a great double gate or double door there. And the judge would come through those doors and court would then go into session. And so he picks up some kind of vernacular here, the concept that people would understand. And he's like he's picturing Christ ready to push the door open to walk into the courtroom and resume his judging. And we're not talking about the unbelievers here. We're not talking great white throne judgment. We're talking about the Bema seat. That's the judgment seat of Christ. This, this is what behooves us not to be grumbling because He can take those rewards away. We can be criticizing others, criticizing our brethren. And He says, don't let the Lord walk in while you're criticizing one of your brothers. Now, you're not going to keep Him from walking in, but you want to keep yourself from criticizing others. Look in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. 2.14 Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? So that you will prove, probably dokimos there, yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst... Oh boy, does this ever define it in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Yeah, you can say, but you don't know the kind of world we're living in now. (laughs) It's no different than the time that Paul lived in the world. You say, yeah, but the politics in this world is incredibly bad. And I uh, wholeheartedly agree with you. But he says, it was crooked and perverse then. You're living in that kind of world. God is not surprised. And He says, I want you to be blameless. I want you to be innocent. I want you to be children of God above reproach. Watch your language. Watch your attitudes. Watch your thoughts. Your words. Watch. Be careful. I know it's a terrible, evil generation. Don't blame it on that. God has put us here in this time, such a time as this, and that we would appear as lights in the world. That's why we're still hanging around here, and He doesn't come and pick us up. He wants us to be lights in this dark world because there are still others who are sinners that God is going to be is patient with that He's going to save them and bring them into His kingdom too. There's still others there. (laughs) And He's using us as lights in this world? That kind of explains what's going on, doesn't it? God, who is sovereign, says, I'm not surprised. You know, I've set this up. I don't have sin. God's saying, hey, I never cause sin. Man does that. But I'm using this. And that way we can say, man, I'm glad he's really in control then, isn't he? He's in control of most things, but that kind of thing, no, you know, God doesn't have his hand in that. I mean, it's just happening. You mean it's out of control of God? Boy, if that be the case, I'm scared. God is not afraid of sin. He is not afraid of Satan. He has all of this under control. God will judge. Scripture teaches correctly and clearly that it's wrong to take personal vengeance, to even have an attitude of vengeance 
we're to confront any kind of selfishness, greed in our hearts. We are confronted not to ever take action in a vengeful way. Any action motivated by that would be sinful. It's wrong. And so, that's why we have this negative command. Do not complain, brethren. It's one of those. See, you tells me, not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. He's there. You know what? He's ready to come back. We don't want to be doing something that he doesn't want us to be doing when he comes back, right? I think that kind of command behooves us too. He's given us the positives about him coming back, but he says, okay, remember. Remember this. Okay, now, I think what is really good about James is he loves to use illustrations. He uses something that you can picture. He says, okay, I want you to imagine this. And you don't have to imagine because this is true. As an example. Okay, he's going to give us an example of somebody who is human, who has suffered and endured. It's all by the will of God. Okay, the example, brethren. Believers, okay? Church. Of suffering and patience, I want you to take the prophets. Okay, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. What did prophets do? Spoke in the name of the Lord. They talked about who He is. That's the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is who He is. All that He is and all that He does and all that He wills to do in the name of the Lord. All that's about Him. Stop in the name of the law. Everything that's behind that, right? Here in the name of the Lord. Everything about Him. The prophets. The prophets of old. A classic illustration of the ones who suffered affliction and they did it with patience. James is saying, this is normal. This is the believer's life. Let's start with some of the prophets. Oh, the kind of things they went through. Now, you know, if Daniel had not been exiled and deported from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon, he'd say, really? (coughs) That's right. He was taken in captivity. And by the way, he was thrown into a lion's den. You know, that's just a children's story, right? I, did, did you get it into a den of lions? <laughs> Start thinking about that. If Daniel had not been challenged to become worldly and compromise himself in the foods that they were offering in the Babylonian court, we would probably have never heard of him. But he went through those trials and because he did, he endured. He encourages us. He encourages the faithful, doesn't he? That's, that's Daniel. He was a prophet. Now sometimes the prophets, I'm sure, thought about complaining. He even probably did. But they never threw in the towel. And he said, what in the world is God doing? And that's the key. What in the world is God doing? Oh, He's preparing us for eternity. That's what He's doing with us while we're here in the world. He's preparing us for eternity. He's preparing us for the coming of the Lord. That's what's happening. God manages our very earthly affairs right now. He's managing us, and we are part of it. We mentioned Daniel. He's a prophet, right? Consider him. How about considering Jeremiah? You remember Jeremiah the prophet who was also called the weeping prophet? He preached faithfully for decades. Was he popular? No. Not at all. What are? What's that? Who are? Who are popular that preach God's Word. They are the unpopular. They're the ones who people want to get rid of. He was under duress and difficulty all the time that he was a prophet. He was thrown into a cistern. He was left in the mud and the muck to die there. He was delivered by Ebed Melech, the Cushite, 30 men. And they had to do so with extreme caution as they did that due to the bodily 
emaciation of Jeremiah, but he endured in faithfulness to the Lord. Daniel was faithful. Jeremiah was faithful. You know, the Old Testament was written for our instruction. Romans 15.4, 1 Corinthians 10.11. They spoke in the name of the Lord. And they were persecuted because they spoke in the name of the Lord. They spoke the Word of God. They were victims of persecution. They endured a stiff-necked, rebellious people. They endured that. David, you remember King, uh, King David before he was king? Do you know what he went through? He was being chased around by Saul and wicked, le- wicked leaders of Israel. And Elijah, same kind of thing. What a prophet he was. Jeremiah was constantly persecuted in his ministry. Um, what did the people think of the prophets? Well, Jesus spoke about that in Matthew chapter 23. Twenty-three, verse thirty-one. So you testify against yourselves. You're showing who you really are. You are sons of those who murdered the prophets. You're coming from that generation, back in the Old Testament time period. They murdered prophets. Look at verse thirty-seven. This is Jesus saying this: Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets? And stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were unwilling. Just like the prophets. The leaders in that time that Christ came were that way. Um, <coughs> let's, go to, let's go to Jeremiah. We were speaking about Jeremiah earlier. There's so many we can go to and say, well, what about the prophets? Jeremiah helps us out here. The book of Jeremiah. Chapter 18, verse 18. We're just going to go through, peruse through a few verses here. 18.18. Then they said, Come and let us devise plans against... Who? Jeremiah. Surely the law is not going to be lost in the priest, nor counsel to the sage, nor the divine word to the prophet. Come and let us strike him at him with our tongue, and let us give no heed to any of his words. Now what did he speak? The Word of God. Let's not give any heed to his words. Um, Jeremiah 20, verses 1 and 2. When Pasher the priest, the son of Immer, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, this is a priest, a leading priest, chief officer. When he heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, Pasher had Jeremiah the prophet beaten, and put him in the stocks that were at the upper Benjamin gate, which was by the house of the Lord, by the temple. Chapter 20, verse 9. But I, if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. He says, I can't keep from preaching the Word of God, right? You know, it's like, it comes like a burning fire. Shut up my bones. I can't stop doing it. He might have felt like it because of all the persecution that was happening. Chapter 26, verse 8 of Jeremiah. Just keep going along here. 26, 8. When Jeremiah finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, the priest and the prophets, and all the people seized him saying, you must die. Now there, there were false prophets there, right? You must die. Why? Because he spoke the word. Well, we keep moving on here. He's, you've got to be kidding me. Jeremiah 32.2. We're moving on in Jeremiah. He's still alive. Still speaking a word. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Thus saith the Lord. Write all the words which I have spoken to you in a book. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah. The Lord says, I will also bring them back to the land that I give to their forefathers, 
and they shall possess it. You keep preaching the Word. No matter what happens, look at where this is going. And he says, look what I'm going to do. There was terror and dread and no peace. It's going to be a Jacob's distress at some time. During that time, it comes back. Chapter 37, verse 13. Still in Jeremiah. Wow. Jeremiah went through quite a time of persecution. 13. While he was at the gate of Benjamin, a captain of the guard whose name was Arijah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Hananiah, was there and he arrested Jeremiah the prophet, saying, You are going over to the Chaldeans. But Jeremiah said, A lie. I am not going over to the Chaldeans. Yet he would not listen to him. So Arijah arrested Jeremiah and brought him to the officials. This sounds like the Apostle Paul. Every time you turn around, you find out he's in jail again. Arrested, arrested. We can just keep on going. Jeremiah 43, chapter 44. You can go into Ezekiel 24. Hosea was told to marry this one lady as his wife, but yet she's a harlot. Amos, we get the same thing. Hebrews 11, oh my, by the time you get to verse 32, this is incredible. These are God's people. And you can say, why are they being treated the way they are? Hebrews 11, 32 says, and what more shall I say? For time will fail me, and that's about right. If I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword from weakness, were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, Wow! Women received back their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, not accepting the release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised on this earth. Because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. all a purpose line, all that, whatever God was doing. Whether they were winning wars, doing amazing things, or if they were hiding in holes in the ground, being persecuted and murdered. Amazing. And you know what James says here? We've just been given the example of prophets, right? James says, we count those blessed who endured. They were blessed. They were they endured. Hupo meno. Hupo meno. That is the idea of bearing up under the circumstances. This time it's not people, it's the circumstances. They endured. They were blessed. They were faithful. They were blessed. James says there is blessing and happiness in the exercise of patience and endurance. They were blessed in that. They patiently endured. You know, we can think of brothers and sisters in this church, in this fellowship, that have gone through some really tough trials and we cannot comprehend what they have gone through and are going through. You, you can't. All you can do is pray for them and you're wondering how do they... Keep going. And yet you admire them because they're not mumbling, they're not complaining. They know they're underneath the Lord's sovereignty and God is doing a work in them. Matter of fact, sometimes you wonder, boy, 
Lord, I wish I could be like that. I wish I could be that strong. Blessings. Blessings. There's blessings in enduring trials. <coughs> Quite the blessings. May I remind you, they don't come to people who do great things. Blessings come to people who endure great things. It's not something they chose to do, but it's something they endure through. You've heard of the endurance of Job? The word hupomonade there is seen in verse 11. You've heard of the endurance, hupomone, of Job, and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. You've heard about Job. They all knew about that. We knew. As a matter of fact, it says here the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome or the purpose of God. Now, we know the rest of the story and all the story of Job. He didn't when he was going through it. But after he really saw God in a way he had never seen Him, guess what? Then it started making a little bit of sense of what had just gone on for years. He looks back at me and says, Oh, that's what you're doing. Sure didn't make any sense when it was happening. God has a purpose for its trials in your life, for everything you're going through. Boy, the, the, the Jews knew this man. That's the story of a righteous man, Job is. What was God's purpose with Job? Well, look in Job 1, and, and we don't have the time to go through all of this. Like I say, the, the time is drawn right at the end here. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, right? This is just remarkable. Uh, we know that God permitted Satan to do what he was going to do. God was in total control of that. And this was a righteous man, most righteous man on earth. Look in 1, 21 and 22. And he says this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Took away his family. So his wife. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hey, we sing that song, don't we? Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Chapter 2, verse 10. The example of Job. But he said to her, You speak... This is after she said, Curse God and die. You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all all this, Job did not sin with his lips. says a lot, doesn't it? How about chapter 13, verse 15? This is the example that would have followed. Though He slay me, though He kill me, I will hope in Him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before Him. <laughs> yes. yes. But He says, I still have hope in Him. Chapter 19, verse 25. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. Have we ever sang that song? This sounds like Resurrection Day, doesn't it? And at the last, He will take His stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see and not another. My heart faints within me. I will see God. This is in the Old Testament, folks. This goes way back. And he had that view. He knew that he would soon see God. Chapter 42. That's really... You know the outcome of the book of Job, right? We're, We're near the end here. What was God's purpose? One, to test his faith and prove it to be real. After it's all said and done, it was, right? Right? That's because of... God Himself, any. Number two, it was to strengthen his faith so that he would see God more clearly. Did he? Yeah. Number three, it proved to Satan that there was a man that totally loved God. He pursued God. No matter what it would cost. Fourthly, it increased Job's blessedness. Multiplied. We know how the book ends with Job being blessed. Doubly. <coughs> See, we don't see those things when it's happening. 
but here it is. Can you handle this fact? That through a trial, God has a greater thing in mind. Can we think of that whenever we're going through it? In the midst of trials, all you have to do, look at the prophets. Look at Job. It's always worked that way. Look at Paul. Look at um, people down through the ages, whether it be, think of the Reformation, you think of Luther, you think of Calvin, all the reformers, Jonathan Edwards, all those guys, they, they went through terrible persecutions. Amazing what they went through. But God had a greater thing in mind, didn't He have? The purpose of the Lord. He has a goal in mind. God blessed them for persevering. God had a wonderful purpose, a wonderful plan, a greater blessing. Kent Hughes offers a real good encouragement from the life of Job. He says, What an encouragement to know that God does not expect stoic perseverance in the midst of trials. He knows we are but clay. He understands our tears and He accepts our questions. But it does demand that we recognize that we are finite. He is infinite. He is good. He's gracious. He has processes our work right now beyond our comprehension. We'll never understand. And it's okay. We know the sovereign God. He has a plan for bigger, bigger plans for us moving all the way towards completion. His work will always be finished. God demands like Job, hold on to your faith. You have all the hope you need. The character of the Lord here, I'd like to spend a lot more time on it. Our time is drawn near the end, but God is compassionate. You see it through the Old Testament. He's full of pity He for us. He has mercy upon us. He's tender. Uh, the word there is dealing with the splinknos. Many bowed. Jews knew that. It's deep down, they felt it in the gut. And that's what God... Uh, he feels it right here. He really feels... He, he's really compassionate. He just doesn't say here, hey, we have a compassionate God. No, He's full of compassion. Uh, the Jewish person would know what that would mean. He has a massive capacity for compassion. It, it's deep and it's broad. It is complete and perfect. And then merciful. He is tender. He is soft-hearted. He bears our infirmities. He carries our cares. Let Him bear your burdens. I conclude with this from the Puritan Thomas Watson. Patience proves that there is much of God in the heart. Patience proves that God is in the heart. In the difficult providences of life, God is working much of Himself in our lives as we learn to follow Him, trust in Him, and believe in His goodness toward us. Let's pray. Father, You are a merciful God, a compassionate God, who knows exactly what You're doing in this world and exactly what You're doing in our lives as You work in us. Help us to work it out. To work out our salvation that You have brought us in by grace and You continue to keep us all the way to Your coming back. May we give honor to You by the way that we live our lives, being patient, enduring, not complaining, and just looking at You, how You've done it with all the prophets, with all the men of God in the Old Testament, the New Testament, men of God all the way up to our time. And we've seen it with people we know who live right with us. And Lord, thank You for Your greatness and Your holiness. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Usually we're, we are out of here. Close to that at this time. Ha-ha. Close. <laughs> and... We take this thinking of the prophets in the Old Testament, the apostles, the New Testament, and we are really one with them. They're dead saints. But actually, they are living with the Lord. 
And so we remember how God worked through them as they are people of the hall of faith. And it's just like, in a way, we're being encouraged on by God and all of His people down through the ages and even today. And this says a lot. It says, we are in Christ who died for us, took our sins. We've been placed into the body of Christ. He gave His life for us. Gave His righteousness to us. Took our sin. Placed it on Him. Incredible thought. As we think about that through this week leading up to the very resurrection of Christ. All the power that's behind the Gospel, folks. And He has empowered us to live this life. And so... It's like we're making a, uh, a total commitment to Him every day. We keep renewing that. And that's what a Lord's Supper can do amongst many other things as we continue to worship God and get ready to, to close. And I invite you to come to the table. We'll start. as we contemplate the sins that have been taken away from us, we desire for our lives to complement our word of faith, our, our word that uh, is, is confessing that Christ is Lord. And uh, we think about as with on the screen the place where God has supremely destroyed all human arrogance and pretension is the cross. That's what we get. Luke, could you? Yes, I would. Father, I thank you for this message, and I thank you for the the instruction that you give us to to be patient and. And that uh, Paul says to give thanks and everything. Sometimes it's difficult to do that. We don't understand what's going on at certain periods of our lives. And, uh, yet, yet because of your sovereignty in our lives and the providence that's within our lives, we know and have a hope in our Lord and Savior that it's going to it's going to work out for our good. And that we don't we're not a people that should be despaired. We're not a people that should be defeated. We are a people that should be victorious. We should rise up and be accounted. As the saying goes, rise up, O man of God, rise up, O woman of God. And that Father that indeed we would be the those that uh, stand for the glory of Christ, uh, and, and I and I thank you, Father, that as it's been said, that you stand at the door, and surely, 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 we do not want to be caught grumbling and complaining about the things that are taking place in our lives, but that Father, we want to just exalt you and to magnify you with the understanding that it's all going to end. 
It's all going to be completed. And one day we're going to stand with the saints of God casting our crowns at the feet of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and bowing before you in ecstasy that we have never realized before in all of our lives what it's going to be like to listen to the angelic host singing and what it would be like for all of the host of God to stand up and sing. Oof. Gives me chill bumps just to think about it, Mark. But yet we're here. And we thank you for this example that you've given us, that we would be reminded that you did all this for us. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And the Passover, the blessing given by Jesus. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. was given for the cup of redemption. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth fruit on the vine. Certainly been a privilege. Great to have our guests with us today. Thank you guys for coming. That really helped make make the day. Matter of fact, you kind of set in for some people who are not here. Thank you very much. We'll be glad to have you again. Well, things go good um, there for your move and your work. And, and you live in Kirksville, right? I'm glad you came down and kind of helped supporting her as she gets used to new area. Hope you like the lake. On the lake. That's what a blessing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Be blessed. This, this song, should I get this to Bob and the guys? Or? Yeah.